Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for just a great book from the New York Times bestsellers list. And to help me, of course, are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joseph. Hi, Nick. My name's Joe Holshu. I'm a New York Times bestseller. Nope. Reader. Read. Wait, I'm a, well, let me start mm. that again. I'm a reader okay, of right. New York Times oh, bestsellers. That's good. I didn't want to falsely represent myself okay. there. Um, and Nick, if you're looking for a New York Times bestseller, I loved the book I read this week. It was Amor Tolle's A Lincoln Highway. The I Lincoln Highway. I don't, it's not Amor Towels. Ian wants me to pronounce it Amor Towels, but guys, no, I think he's playing every a Every time we bring a book by him, it's like, let's have a 45 minute conversation. Hello, in this life. Yeah. In this life, I'm Dr. Ian DeYoung. Mm. In this life, I'm a high school English teacher. In this life, our podcast oh is called You Don't Know Lit. And in this life, I brought Matt Haig's New York Times bestseller, The Midnight Library. Oh, dun, dun, dun. It's a, yeah. it's a spooky Nick, library. It's a scary hey, Nick, book. Can you, Nick, <laughs> Nick, can you just... Sometimes if you listen to some records on the radio or something, they have like scary music or like a Wilhelm scream. Could you do some of that in there? Just yeah, add that. I don't know if I know what a Wilhelm scream is. Is that just the like the psycho, the uh, like psycho knife scream? I think it is. Actually. I don't think that's right. No, I think it is. I'll just I'll just add the sound from the psycho movie. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> I don't know why it took 92 episodes to just do New York Times bestsellers. It's nice, Ian. Sounds like a guy getting murdered. Is that what that is? I think I think that's kind of the point, actually. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's Wilhelm. A student once told me that like the Wilhelm screen has become a uh, but like a bit of a meme in movies and that it ruins a lot of like big movie fight scenes and that like a lot of sound engineers like to sneak it in. Like it's an Easter egg in all these big movie fight scenes. Mm -hmm. um, and that this student was telling me that it is so overdone that it immediately takes him out of the immersion when he hears it. Oh, N sure. Sh are you thinking we should just try to kind of integrate that naturally in our podcast? The, the, the Wilhelm, Wilhelm scream. scream. Yeah. Is it Wilhelm it's, or Wilhelm? It's probably it's Wilhelm. Wilhelm. It sounds German. <laughs> yeah, it sounds um, German. You guys, I have a question for you to start us off today. Oh, okay? great. This is, this is my question. All right. Mm -hmm. What do you regret? Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. My, my, book is, my book is focused on regrets, and I'm, I'm really like... This is something we don't talk about much unless we're having like a good old fashioned gripe session. But like, what are things in your life you regret? Yeah, I regret m like most of my time from 16 to like 26. I Oh, actually, do you know what I do regret? 
I I do not think my time in college was very well spent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I had a lot of really impressive or really cool things at my disposal, and I did a lot of drinking beer and playing video games because that's kind yeah. of what I thought college was supposed to be. And let's be real. Like, that kind of is what college is for a lot of people. But now when my students go away to college, I get kind of jealous of them sometimes. I'm like, that, like you're going to like this awesome cool school. You have so much cool stuff at your disposal. They're like, what did you do in college? I'm like, um, I played a lot of Oblivion. Oh, man. So this is kind of ironic, Joe. My regret in terms of college is that I didn't do enough drinking. I was too busy hitting those books. And I look back and I'm like, why? Like, you don't even remember any of that stuff, Nick. Mm, right more beer yeah. next time right mm-hmm. you you wasted a lot of valuable drinking time yeah. as my roommate kevin would have said <laughs> so i guess my regrets are giving a shit about things that i can't control <laughs> yes yes it's powerful it's powerful do you have any well, regrets I'm, ian <laughs> um i really regret that yep you joe you did you joe i regret that joe did so much Oh, yeah, no. Gaming, right? <laughs> no, and I regret that, Nick, you did, you did so little. No, I, I think, so I love the out of doors. Um, I used to be a big hiker, and I think sometimes I wonder. I look back, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm good at teaching. I like teaching. Right. English is solid. It, without English, I wouldn't have this podcast right. with you two chuckleheads. But what if I had gone into forestry and become a park ranger? That would be pretty cool. Like oh. living in a national park? Do it. Yeah. I could really start a, a park podcast. I think that'd be... I don't want to say better. Parkcast. Parkcast. <laughs> better than this? <laughs> I'd say pod park. I had a friend, um, a kind of an acquaintance who is a forest ranger. He lives on like a thousand acres in the UP and it's his job to make sure that that forest is not currently on fire. But every summer he goes out west and he fights forest fires. Like, like he lives in the UP all winter. He goes and fights forest fires all summer wow. and he loves it. It's kind of a bachelor life. Like, like I, yeah, like I don't, too much. it's a bachelor yeah. lifestyle. Oof. I mean, talk about a song of ice and fire right there. My goodness. <laughs> mm. Stupid. I don't, we weren't talking about that. Um, Ian, so maybe you could uh, just go live in the forest and protect it. That is in high demand these days. I hear. Listen, I, I Ian does give off druid, druid vibes. Now that uh, he you says know what? that. <laughs> I can, I have this ability to shape shift. Um, I've been, I've been working on that. Right. Thorn whip. Uh, well, okay. So, you know. Something to think we all about. Have regrets. Yeah. Yep. Lit, just lit, lit heads. Just go do it. Just quit teaching. It's fine. Lit heads. No. Leave <laughs> your wife. Teaching. Leave your kid. I have moments. Leave your job. Leave right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hang up this call. Lit heads. I want you to think carefully about what you regret. Just really dwell on those regrets. <laughs> yeah. Just think about that for the the rest of the week. Um. Lovely. Well, welcome, lit heads, to you don't know lit a weekly or as we call it strongly podcast. Strongly podcast. Every week we discuss our regrets. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just kidding. Every week we of course pick a theme and Joe and Ian bring book recommendations to tickle my fancy. And we have some rules to keep us on track. Rule number but one. Before we do, what? we just want to address the allegations. <laughs> Rule number one. Only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joseph. And rule number three, only winning matters, Vince Lombardi, because we will have a winner here today. I don't 
think we could say Vince Lombardi after it if we completely change the quote. Well, as we it's discussed, like, well, I'm paraphrasing Vince Lombardi here, guys. As we discussed, he's dead, so he doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, uh, I, I would like to jump right into it. Uh, Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds to tell me a little bit about your book? Yeah, I would love to, Nick. Nick, this is a novel about four kids on a road trip that doesn't go as planned. The year is 1954, and our trip takes place along the Lincoln Highway, a coast-to-coast highway that is real and runs from New York City to San Francisco. It has a foreclosed farm, orphans riding Mm. the rails, a road trip, buried treasure. Nick, buckle up. Buckle up. We got a road trip ahead of us. We got a road trip novel. That's Is this... A lot of Abe Lincoln. A lot of Abe Lincoln this this month. A lot of Lincoln yeah. stuff. I, I've been hanging yeah. out in like the L part of my library shelf. Right. So uh, Lincoln and the Bardo. Right. Know, Lincoln Highway. Next month, John Mayer. Uh, Ian. Next month, Lincoln Park. Right. In my book this week, in the Midnight Library, Nora Seed has been kicked around by life. When she decides to end it all, she finds herself in a mysterious library stocked with portals to alternate future lives. She may visit them freely, but only once. She may stay in any life that she wants, but as soon as she feels disappointment with a life, she must leave it. What is the Midnight Library? Will it salve her regrets? And what life will she end up in? Bum, bum, bum. I I always get a, I actually get a vibe of a little more whimsical than um psycho Ian is that right this is uh a- and then with the Wilhelm scream I do think yeah. it's primarily whimsical but I think it was used in the in in the in the movie Psycho. Mm. Hmm. Well, more on that later. Um, <laughs> I'll update you guys throughout, throughout, throughout the, the hour, the entire series of this podcast. You know, this is second. This is the second book we've had from Amar. Uh, I'd like to just share my Amor story, mm. which is that I did email him asking him to come on the show. And he said, no, I'm launching a book this year. I'm extremely busy. <laughs> this is the book. This is the book he launched. This is the book. So this is the book. Uh, maybe he'll come on after things have settled. But obviously, once we talk about this, it's going to get hyped up pretty big, I think. That's true. Well, yeah. also, we have to make sure that we're really nice to him. First of all, yes. Amar, we're, we're going to be very nice to him. And he's also probably got to win this week. Like, he doesn't want to come on a podcast I, that oh, he loses. Well, interesting. So, um, ooh, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a nice that's start there, Joe. Um, can, I, uh, can I just, I think we should just all go around the room and saying something nice about him. Yep. I'll go first. I love his last name. Oh. I love his last name more than his first name. And I don't even know how to say wow. it. I love the fancy books that he writes. <laughs> and they're very fancy. <laughs> okay. Fancy, good I name. I love... I love his responsiveness when Nick messages him on social yeah. media. <laughs> that is very considerate. <laughs> I agree. He didn't have to respond. That was very sweet. No, he didn't. Yeah. Um, and I bet it was thoughtful. Like, I bet it was like thoughtful and classy. And I bet he let you down mm-hmm. gently. Like, right. I, he just seems like a really classy gentleman. Nick, didn't he ask after your family by name? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Please give CC my regards. No, um, I think um, I, I assuming he's listening to this episode. So let's just kind of keep him on the line. Uh, Ian, why don't you go first? <laughs> <laughs> what? Amar, I cannot apologize enough. I just want him to hear the whole episode. He, he's not going to know <laughs> oh, where yeah. to so you know, can, buffer ahead can, uh, when Joe starts. You know what I mean? Our skills. Yeah. So this book is this book has been on the the. Um, like the the fiction, the specifically the the fiction hardcover list for sixty four weeks. It's been on the the um combined list for like three months. So it's a long um, time. 
it's it's good. It's a good book and it's got staying power. I was reading that um, that books by well-known authors land on the list and books by lesser-known authors also land on the list. But if you're a well-known author, you don't really benefit from having a New York Times bestseller. Like it doesn't really move the needle very much for you. If you're like a, hmm. a John Grisham mm-hmm. or a Danielle Steele, you're not going to get a bump. That's just that. another Wednesday for you. Oh, because you sell a million billion books yeah. no matter what. Whereas like some some small of the small guys out Up there, like us, us indie boys, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 We get a nice little bump from being in a published in a magazine every week for weeks and weeks on end. Yeah. That makes Amazing sense. how that works. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't Good necessarily insight. call I wouldn't necessarily call Matt Haga like a small time voice. Um, he's published a bunch of books, a uh, bunch, couple of novels, um, several novels. Um, he's established, but he's also not a household name necessarily. Um, sure. But based on my reading of this, I think he should be because this is a very delicate book. This book, oh. this book is it really toes that line nicely. Um, in terms of like physical build or right, it's slender shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's delicate pages. Is it a slim book? Particularly, oh. the pages do melt. I'm not sure why the pages melt. Oh, that's what they that's, mean when they say that. It's a weird thing. So this book, this book is kind of like it, it's delicate because it, it bridges multiple genres, and it has kind of multiple different vibes, tones. Maybe we should say it's not. So like when I when I start off my description and I say like it's a down, it, it, uh, she decides to end her life. It sounds like it's a downer. Like it sounds like mm-hmm. this is a story about a, a woman who struggles with depression and um, she's learning how to kind of like, you know, is she in fact worth anything? Uh, yeah. Any book that like with within the first 50 pages has an attempt, uh, a, a, the main character attempt, attempting to end their own life, like that kind of screams downer. So it has this and imp- gives you this impression, but it's not just that. It's not just like here's how bad it is because that's early on. And the rest of the book is her figuring out which life is the right life for her. Mm. Okay. So let's take a step back. What's your book about Ian? <laughs> um, Cause I'm not sure who her is. Uh, the main character, Nora, Got it. that I mentioned in my, yeah. Yeah. But her. I mean, who listens to that, you know? So <laughs> oh, okay. who listens to that carefully scripted thing that we are asked to bring every week? <laughs> Um, <laughs> the lit heads. That's a good point. They listen to it. Okay. <laughs> the lit heads do listen to it. So, yeah. so our main character is, she's like really, this is a character driven book, a character focused book. Nora seed is her name. She is 30 uh, something. She lives in England. Um, the book starts off very like root, not routinely, very, very kind of, Ooh, what's the word? Just uh, snails. Mm-hmm. No, the word is not. The word is usually snails, <laughs> but it's not chair, not snails in this. It's Ooh. it's very just workmanlike. It's just very kind of like yeah. works through all of the stuff that makes her life terrible. It kind of narrates her life getting worse and worse. She loses her job. Her cat gets killed. She um, loses oh, boy, touch with various people. A bunch of bad stuff happens. And then like, yeah. as I say, about 40 pages in 40, 50 pages in, she decides to enter life. And that's wow. That's big. So if you didn't know, like if you didn't have some idea of what this book was going to be about, you would probably be really bummed out 40 pages in. Well, it's not a surprise though. It's not like all of yeah. a sudden it builds to it. And it does a really nice job of in a relatively short period of time building to like this, this decision. You're like, I see why she's making this decision. There, there does not seem to be any positive in her life, but when she dies, she doesn't die. She goes to this place called the midnight library and her watch is stuck at midnight. And time is not passing. 
and there is a librarian there and the librarian says that's nice yeah read your book of regrets and once you've read your book of regrets you can go and try different alternate timelines alternate lives where you fix those regrets so for instance if if her regret is i didn't go to college to become um a park ranger Mm-hmm. She can go and read the book where she did go to college to become a park ranger. Well, this is amazing. Sure. And it's a book like that book exists. Like in that library, you can pull park ranger Nora, Nora Woods off the shelf. This is like if yes. an English teacher was God, huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> she, she, so she chooses, she chooses the library motif. Other people who have the same thing, they can choose other things like a video store, something like that. Oh, but, oh it's it's her personal purgatory. Matt Haig is a, is a book writer. He writes books. So, of course, he's going to make it be about books. He's not going to make it be gotcha. like about. So it's a, it's a know, custom build is what you're saying. Pokemons. Yeah. So this right. is the thing that the library, it's not clear if the library is in her mind or mm-hmm. if it's an actual kind of supernatural place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that she goes to, and and he does a really nice job of including enough of this sort of genre stuff, this sort of fantasy stuff, to make it feel like fantastical. Uh, I've I've heard I've seen this called magical realism. This is a fantasy construct, but there is enough kind of real world explanation, like oh, when you die, your brain doesn't shut down immediately. There's like this period before your brain shuts down when your perception changes, and we've studied this scientifically. So enough kind of real world stuff that this becomes a commentary on sort of human nature and psychology. What would you do? This is the big question of this book. If you could go back and change one thing about your life, what would you change? Become a park ranger. What? So, so I, I like this a lot yeah, because like instantly, that. like my, my mind immediately goes to like, okay, how's the logic of this world work? Like, what does this librarian look like? Like what kind of magic power does he have? Does the librarian have magic powers in, or is that a dead end? Um, well, the, the librarian is, is kind of part of the psychological mental construct of mm. the library. So in Nora's imagination, the librarian looks like a school librarian she once had. Yeah. Um, she meets, yeah. she meets another guy later named Hugo and in his, um, another guy who's kind of slipping between lives like she does in Hugo's, um, construct, which is a video store. There is no librarian. There is his uncle Philippe and Philippe was, uh, the guy who kind of like shepherded him into understanding in cinema and stuff. So, mm. um, every, every person who experiences this has the opportunity to try different lives and their own kind of guide. And the guide won't tell you what's the best life. They'll just say, okay, you want to see what would happen if you um, didn't quit playing sports? Here's the book for you. You want to see what would happen if you stayed in touch with your best childhood friend? Here's the book for you. I think that game, like, like just that game of like, oh, if this had been different, Here's the story. Here's how it would have gone. That really captures my imagination. Like that really, really latches on to something. And I think you immediately just start thinking about what your own library looks like. You know, what are those volumes on your library shelf? So selfish, Joe. And then, of course, my second thought is Nick's library shelf. (laughs) And Amoir's library. Um, I think I said Amoir. You did. Like like a a closet. A Morris Library. Uh-huh. Um, I have a one-star review for, uh, for you from Karen, which is not a made-up name. Um, <laughs> her one-star review reads as, as such. 
Uh, reading this book felt like being trapped in Facebook hell, being force-fed philosophical self-help, self, self-help memes. Finishing it was a test of endurance. Uh, so what's Karen's problem? I'm looking mm. at a lot of one-star reviews, and there's a lot of a little bit of hesitancy on this, uh, the main topic here of this book, and uh, suicide. Oh, wait, does it saying they don't handle it very well? Oh, mm. um, well... I, I really I really couldn't say because uh, I've never. If you want, I can think of a harder question to ask. Somehow, <laughs> I, I think okay. So so I think with a with a self help thing, with the self help thing, I really I kept feeling I, I said this was delicate. I kept feeling like I was going to tip over into that sort of alchemist style pablum where it's Uh-oh. like yeah. believe your own numblers and you'll be the greatest right. kind of person. <laughs> but it really doesn't do that because this. This is about a one individual kind of solving her struggles, dealing with where she's at. This is not trying to say, I believe, here, everyone, here are all of your gen- general generic solutions. There are solutions that work for her, but there are, there are for her. This is a literary work, and she is a literary character. So where the alchemist, I think... And other books like it. There are plenty of books that are trying to do this self-help thing. Are trying to tell you didactically what you should do with yourself. This book doesn't really do that because it's saying, no, this works for Nora. Nora's solution, the way Nora ends up, is optimal. What's, what's, the, what's the secret learning here, Ian? For her. What's the message? <laughs> what, is Laura, what does Nora learn? You probably can't tell us because you'd spoil the book. Really, I really can't. I really can't tell you because okay, because the the nature of the story, okay, the nature of the story, like basically this question: if you had the choice to change something and go to a different life and live that life, would you or would you not? Like, oh, okay, there mm. isn't like I went in expecting one thing, one answer to this, and then about halfway through, I was like, oh no, it's gonna be a different answer, and mm-hmm. then I switched back and forth a couple of times. There are really only two answers. Yeah, a she goes to a different life. B, she, three answers. She dies. C, she goes back to her main life. Four answers. Okay, five answers. <laughs> but but she has limited, she sort of has, has there are limited ways this story could end up. And mm-hmm. the, the, the interest of this story is how she learns and w- not just what she learns, but how she learns it and how she ends up where she ends up in a, this is a spoiler, a healthier place. Mm-hmm. We'll put some screams over that. <laughs> <In a bad place. laughs> uh, so what, what happens in the book? Is it kind of like a series of these reenactments of her life? Like these points that she kind of identifies being like, well, that was a major moment. Let me relive it with my brother, Phil. Yeah, well, sort sort of, sort of. So the way this works is like all of the lives that she can jump into are the lives after the point in time that she's at. So she's like 30, 30 plus. She's she's 30 something. So Mm -hmm. she can't go back to 27. Oh, Oh, sure. And relive that bad mistake she made. But what she can do is she can choose a book, choose a life Mm -hmm. in which she made a different choice there. So one of her big things is like, swimming she was a really good swimmer and then she stopped at a certain point because of a variety of complicated reasons so she's like what if i had i regret she she looks at her book of regrets and the book of regrets says one of the the records one of the things that records her being regret, regretful about is i regret not 
sticking to my swimming. So she's like, mm-hmm. what if I stuck to my swimming? So she right. lives that life. She jumps in as a 30 something. Her swimming career is already over, but she is an Olympic gold medalist. She's a Ted talk, oh. like giver of that's Ted like, talk gold medalist that's as well. The best part, right? After it's done, all, all the hard work. Oh yeah. <laughs> she mostly hops into good lives. So she, yeah. she's a glacier scientist and oh, one no. who gets to fight a polar bear. Um, she's a rock and roll sensation. She's a, she's a philosopher and an academic. She jumps into good lives, but her task is realizing this life is good, but it's not what I want. Wow. And it's like, it's that thing of where if you could go back and change things, would that really fix your problems? And she well, discovers. Yes or no. We need to know, yeah. Ian. And an Olympic gold medal <laughs> seems like it would solve some of my problems. Interesting. Yeah. But the thing is with this, with this, with the, with the rules of this world, when she starts to feel disappointed with one of these lives, she snaps back to the midnight library and that's kind of a, Oh wow. So like it's gone and you can't go back. Yeah. You can't. So it melts as you read it. Yeah, exactly. So this yeah. is actually kind of the, the delight of the book. The, the, the story begins with her root life, which is kind of the stuff leading up to her, um, her attempts to end her own life. And we get a lot of kind of background about people she's broken up with, about her regrets, about relationships, about childhood dreams and things. And then he does a really nice job. Matt Haig does a really nice job of taking these little details and saying, okay, this thing, she was in a rock band, but she left. She has uh, anxiety issues. She has a bad relationship with her brother. She has a bad relationship with this other guy who used to be in the band with her. And he takes each of these strands and like, okay, what if this was different? What if this was different? And that's really kind of cool. It's kind of like time travel in a way in that he gets to kind of like lay out this life and then walk us through. If this were different, where would that timeline go? If this were different, where would that timeline go? It's very methodical and it's very just very engrossing. I'm hooked on the premise. Like, I think the premise sounds awesome, but I think a lot of this book is going to hinge on how much you like spending time with Nora as a reader. Like, like I love thinking of this in terms of my own life. Like, yes. I, like I'm absolutely yes. locked in. I don't you really care prick, so much Joe. about it in terms of Nora's life, though. So, like, <laughs> is she good? To, you, you know what I mean? Like, I'd like to yeah, see yeah, more yeah. Joe in this book. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. Honestly, huh. when I began, when I began kind of reading this, there was a bit where I was like, so the first 40 pages are, are really powerful. And then there was a bit where I was like, okay, well, where is this going to go? I, I wasn't quite hooked yet. You get, you get drawn in. This is really, this is more character focused than any book I think I've brought because she is at the center of it. And you know what? By the end of it, she is not a perfect character. Like the song says, I'm not a perfect person, but she, it's a great song. Um, but she is a really interesting and we're really invested in her kind of discovering her best option. How long do like each one of these stories last? Is it like a pretty good chunk Short. of the book or is it like real quick chapters? So you don't really spend a ton of time with any other characters. I bet. No, maybe like besides the librarian. And what you discover is that each of the characters in her life. So she's like, she, she, in, in her root life. Oh, is the librarian God? No, it's God, isn't it? <laughs> is it St. Peter? <laughs> no, the, the librarian is, is a figment of her imagination, uh, who is Dang. not all well, powerful. Uh, yeah. So not, no, no, <laughs> the characters that she gets to, interact with 
kind of gradually over the course of the novel, we learn more about them. So she interacts with her brother briefly in the root in the in the root story. But then he keeps cropping up in her different lives in different ways. So we do get a, a broad cast of characters, but she is absolutely the star. Yeah. It's not an ensemble. The rock star. She, yeah, she is. Yeah, she's the rock star. And, and other people are kind of around her, but they're not the focus. And I do think like I, I get what you're saying, Joe. It is a tough sell because I've like if you hate her, then you're you're out. But yeah, it, yeah. it does a good job. Haig does a good job of of making her feel like a, a human being. Oh, I have an idea. Yeah. What's your idea? Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, what I was thinking is that you could download the PDF of this book. Just like, got yep, it. And then just do like a control alt oh, and then replace find? Nora with yep. Joe. Control yep. find yep. Nora, replace, replace Joe. Joe. Joe was an Olympic swimmer. And then you got yourself an, a nice little novel. That's, you know what, guys, I New think, York Times bestselling novelist, <laughs> Nick, Nick, I think you should, you should prepare this yes. um, for the lit heads and have it for mm. download on our website so they can just download it and slot their name into it. And it's kind of like a yeah. do it yourself. Like, a kit. yeah, this could be a whole series of books. Really? Sure. Any book, the old man and the Joe. <laughs> the I think, our, can our social media I, just turn into... <laughs> Uh, books adapted to Joe's name. <laughs> a Tale of Two Joes. A Tale of Two Joes. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure we could think of other book names, you know? Oh, sure. I, I a Christmas Joe. Pretty much had less. Mm, oh, that's good. <laughs> Something seasonal. Yeah. Uh, Slaughterhouse hey, Joe. Sounds good, Ian. Gentlemen, our 50-part series continues with a riveting next date. Are you ready? Are you ready to celebrate Maine's birth? I thought for a second you thought the state was called Maine's. <laughs> Are you ready to celebrate Maine's? Little known fact, um, Maine is such a popular state in kind of small town America that they named the primary street in every small town after the state of Maine. <laughs> um, right. They're all just Main Street. It's true. Google actually does not exist. Google Maps does not exist there. It's uh, it was just too chaotic, confusing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yes, it's Maine. It's Maine's birthday. Following up on the runaway success of Florida Man's birthday. Right, back at it again. Um, I will bring uh, an, a, a nonfiction, a pretty short nonfiction book called "The Survival of the Bark Canoe." Um, if this sounds familiar. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say, if this sounds boring. <laughs> I, I know it does sound boring, but it's uh, written by fan of the show, John McPhee. This is one of his classic, let me take a random boring thing and do Jesus, a deep dive another into fucking it. John McPhee book? <laughs> you, you're canceled. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We love John Listen, McPhee. Listen, here's the thing. This book looks This is incredible. the last one. This is the last book. We're McPhee heads. This is just a John McPhee fan cast. <laughs> I... I'm also bringing a John McPhee. Are you no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, I'm bringing a book by a guy named John Irving, a famous main book turned into like an Oscar winning movie. I'm bringing the cider house rules. Oh, um, good. Film. Which I'm yep, super excited for. Super excited for a lot of reading to do this week. Oh, but is it, pretty a, is it a big chunky one? I think I really I've read um, one John Irving book before and I remember it being really good and really long. Okay. 
brought a book this week called The Lincoln Highway, and I know I've been bringing a lot of books with Lincoln in the title lately, but this one has almost nothing to do with Abraham Lincoln. Um, okay. He's not in a bardo. There's a couple statues of him that Thank show God. up. This is by, of course, um, our good friend Amor Tolls. We're, if we say it enough different ways, I think we'll get it right. Oh, boy. Eventually. <laughs> I think it's Amor. Every time I hear it in an interview and they say it, I'm like, oh, that's how they say it. But for some reason, it's just non-replicatable with my mouth. I can't do it. Okay, Nick, there's a bunch of stuff I like about this book. Um, I just hit a few of the highlights in my teaser. There is a foreclosed farm. There are orphans. There's a boy in juvenile detention for involuntary manslaughter. Um, just tell me when I get to something that that's good. <laughs> Riding the rails. There's some friends Amor hiding tolls. in his trunk that like stow away. Amor tolls. Amor tolls. Hey, <laughs> Amor tolls. here's my question, Joseph. Yep. So yes. if you drive in the American West and maybe in the, the American mm-hmm. East and the Midwest, I don't know, but definitely in the West, there are, you see these blue and red and white signs by the side of the road that say, Lincoln Highway. And the reason is that there was the first cross-country road, maybe you're going to get to this, was Mm. called the Lincoln Highway, which is roads. And I don't hear much about roads. I hear a lot about hiding in bushes. I hear about Mm -hmm. trains. Mm -hmm. Trains, yes. And I didn't hear much at all. I wasn't listening. (laughs) Oh, boy, what a surprise. (laughs) There's a road from California to New Jersey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the Um, Lincoln Highway. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so Joe, would you say the Lincoln yes. Highway is like a character in this book or what? I would not say that. No. <laughs> yeah, All right. So this this is a road trip book. Um, there are four main characters that you need to know. Um, there you don't really need to know them. They're kind of great though. Um, there's four main characters. Three of them have recently. One was let out of like a juvenile detention work farm, and his other two buddies just rode in the trunk and broke out. It's like as long as their one friend was getting out, they're like, "Hey, Emmett's getting out." We're going to hide in the trunk and just go to his house with him. Um, so that's now we have three. these three. That's three. And then we have Emmett's precocious and adorable little brother. Sounds annoying. Is, oh, I really like, the like Ian of him. the group. Um, <laughs> so, okay. We have four rapscallions driving across the country. Right. What kind of car? Um, so you want me to say Lincoln? Don't you? Uh, Do you want me to say Lincoln? I, I don't. I want you to tell me the truth, Joe. It's it's a Studebaker. Mm, cool. I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, well, yeah. They so they start this book in the middle of the it. country. They start the, they start this book in Nebraska, and um, immediately there's conflict because the two boys. Um, well, this part's a little sad. Oh no! Their dad has recently died. Okay. And instead of leaving them the family farm, the family farm is going to go to the creditors, Mm -hmm. right? So the two boys, uh, dad dies, they're going to lose the family farm. Right. And it's not that sad because it is fiction. So keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It is fake. It didn't happen. So they have to decide. It's all lies. (laughs) So they have to decide where to go and they have a choice. Um, They want to take the Lincoln Highway and two of the boys, the two brothers, want to take the Lincoln Highway to San Francisco because that is where their mother went. Um, When their mother left their father a handful of years before, she sent a series of postcards back home, all from stops along the Lincoln Highway. The last postcard came from San Francisco. The other two boys, though, 
who recently escaped from juvenile detention, want to go to New York City on the other end of the Lincoln Highway because there is a buried treasure there of $150,000, and they're going to split it three ways if they go that way. This was almost not a perfect book, but then when you said there's a huge treasure somewhere... It's it's so good, right? Okay, so they're going to... fight over where they should go it sounds like Mm -hmm. yes yeah so so a bunch of the conflict in this book like between these four main characters and these by the way i should say talk a little bit about structure these are all point of view characters so we get a point of view chapter from Emmett, who's kind of at first you think he's going to be the main character and then we get um a, a boy named woolly who's this rich kid who kept getting kicked out of private schools because he's just a little bit slow but really lovable um and then we get like a point of view chapter from the little brother and uh, etc yeah and we see as the story takes them i mean i guess we have this conflict where some of them want to go to new york city some of them want to go to san francisco and some of them are going to get their way cool how far into the book do you figure out where they're going to go uh, pretty quickly. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Like, I, yeah, I would say like, you know, uh, maybe something like 100 pages into the book, they are well on their way to, um, I, I guess I, I can say it's relatively soon. Um, most of the most of the action happens. Uh, they go to New York City. Wait, that's where the money Wait. is? That's where the money is. They go to find the buried treasure. Is it kind of an adventure book? Is there like, who's the main, yeah. is there a main character? Okay. Or is it about Americana? Is it choosing money over the things that you can't buy? Hmm? There's a lot of really good themes that you guys are suggesting here. Uh, Nick, I think you hit it on the head right away when you asked if it was an adventure book. This young man, uh, his name's Billy. I I really like him. I you put a you put a precocious kid in a book, and I'm just bought in. Like I think he's great. He's fun. He's smart, and he carries this book with him. And the book is called Professor Abacus Abernethy's Compendium of Heroes, Adventures, and Other Intrepid Travelers. Wow. And what it is, Nick. I wonder if you ever had a book like this. Ian, I know you did. I don't even have to ask. When you were a little kid, did you have versions of real books and real stories that were like kind of dumbed down for little kids? So, mm. so, so like, for example, I remember um, I had a version like a Reader's Digest version of Moby Dick when I was a little kid and it was Moby Dick. Kind of. It was only like 80 pages long and had a bunch of pictures in it, but the whole story was there. Like, did you have stuff like this? No. Ian? Yes, obviously. (laughs) Okay. So that's what this book is. Um, This book is an alphabetical catalog of 26 different adventurers through time, one for every different um, letter of the alphabet, right? So like A might be Aladdin, O might be Odysseus, right? And this kid has read this book cover to cover like 25 times. Like he's obsessed with this book. And everything that we see is really framed kind of like the Odyssey, kind of like Ulysses, where like it is this almost serial scenes of adventures as they go cross country and encounter dangers and kind of monsters. But the cool thing is, and this is a trick that it does really, really well. I think it's probably the coolest thing about this book. These boys, a lot of what you see through these narrators eyes is seen in this through this romantic lens, right? Like through like this lens of adventure, especially when you get the little kids views. 
But when you're reading it, you also understand that a lot of the situations that they're in are genuinely really scary, right? Mm. They are genuinely mm-hmm. dangerous. They are in scenes with real violence and alcohol, alcoholism and ne'er-do-wells. Um, at one point, like they're riding a train. Uh, they've, they've hopped the rails and they're riding a train. And a man approaches the young boy and really like pretends to be his friend, but is there to rob him, like is there to do him harm. And another man shows up and physically throws that other guy, that first guy from this moving train, which is this big, heroic, fun moment. But as a reader, you're like, you're like, that guy just died. Like you can't get thrown off a moving train like that man is dead. now. Well, it depends on how fast it's moving. If it's going real slow. Good point. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's Thank a good you. point. So it's one of the cool things about this book, and there's a lot of cool stuff, is it really counterbalances like these really dark ideas with this innocence and charm in a way that this book, it never feels heavy. Like it always feels like when you read the Odyssey, like you know that Odysseus is going to get out of this scrape too. Joe, mm-hmm. I've never read A Gentleman in Moscow, but mm-hmm. I listened carefully to what you said about it. So did I, Joe. And also to the game, to the game you brought called Zutalor. But that's the, the best game we've ever brought on this. The best game we have ever brought to this show. I think the Joe, best game was the anyway. one about beats. That was the one about beats. Is better. <laughs> anyway, it seems like maybe, maybe Gentleman in Moscow is a, similar in that there is sort of not whimsy, but but delight that kind of leavens yeah. the tragedy um, to the point where like, it, I mean, maybe maybe there is maybe not. That's not even the right way to say it. maybe maybe the tragedy kind of tinges the overall delight. And he could write a big yeah. old downer of a book about being in Moscow during the Soviets. And he could right. write a big old yeah, downer of, of a book about, you know, the danger to these young children who are Rob um, illegally, let yeah. me add, illegally riding on trains, but he does right. it. Yes. Like, that does is he, my question is then, is he a one trick pony? Yeah. Okay. So like, I think there's definitely parallels between like the levity that he treats these pretty serious situations with. I think it's funny that you say he could have written a downer of a book because after reading two of his books, I don't know if he's capable of writing right. a downer. Right. Of That's a book. my question. Like, like yeah, like I think everything and maybe it's a, it's a trick that works so well. So it's hard to say. I think you could do it more. I think you could write a really sad book. I believe you. <laughs> Why don't you write a really sad book about how you lost this week on you don't know list? <laughs> All right, that's enough. I I mean, could he write a really sad book? I think Amor would say like, "Sure, of course I could." But why would I write like here? I don't want to write a sad book about like this this time. I want to write and write an adventure book about these boys going on a treasure hunt. I don't want to write a sad book about the Russian Revolution. I want to write a delightful book about the relationship between this man and this like girl that he takes under his wing. And I think reference the, to like the thing that keeps book. coming through yeah. to previous book. Yeah. Um, and like the thing that wor- it like it works. Right, like it, it totally works in Gentlemen of Moscow. It totally works in this book. Interesting. Did you like this book, Joe? 
Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I didn't even talk about like the cool writing structure stuff that he does. You know, we end up talking so much about plot. Sometimes we get so much caught up in plot, we forget to, <laughs> to, talk, to discuss writing structure and like. <laughs> well, like one of the co- Ian's going to be a sucker for this too. We have a lot too. of fun here, folks. Um, let me see if I can. <laughs> I'm going to send something to you. That's okay. No, no, no. What do you notice? Okay, I just dropped an image in the chat. This is just a random screen screen grab from the book. What do you notice when you look at this? Okay, it looks, um, Litheads, there is uh, a page of text and... Basically, it looks like very confusing uh, formatting. <laughs> so this is some. This is the way that dialogue appears throughout this entire book, right? All dialogue is there's no quotation marks in the book. There's very little attributive uh, phrases like he sh- he said, she said. He has those, but he'll never elaborate on them, right? So like a lot of times when you read a book, especially a not particularly well written piece, you'll get something like. Stand back, Frank said vociferously, right? Or something like that. You'll get like these adverbs. You'll get these adjectives in there. And Tolls in an interview is like, well, I didn't want to like, I I wanted to make myself not do that. I wanted to remove that temptation. So I wrote dialogue that is just dialogue, right? And the result when you read is this like snappy back and forth of the of this dialogue, right? Like it, it's snappy, it's true to life. If a character has emotion in that dialogue, he has to be conveyed in that dialogue. And it's just a cool trick. Yeah, I've never seen that before. Another cool writing trick. This is just real quick. It happens over 10 days. And at first, he when he he says when he wrote this book, he had it broken into 10 different sections that counted up. So day one, day two, day three, day four, etc. But he said it started like wandering and getting bloated and like it was it just wasn't great. It was growing unwieldy. So all of a sudden, I turned it upside down and all I did is I started day one as day 10. The next one was day nine, day eight. And I started counting down and he said, the result was immediate. Like suddenly I knew I was writing towards something and everything I wrote had to be in service of going toward that thing. I thought it was like such a cool, like craft and structure insight from him. So I think it's a cool book. I think it's a well-written book. I'm super happy I read it. I absolutely recommend it. Is it, um, is, is it based on anything? Is it based on him? You know, when he's written in the past, um, all three of his published books, he would describe as historical fiction, or he wouldn't describe, they, I think we would classify them as historical fiction, right? right? Um, and he said that the origin of this book was literally just like realizing that there was this Lincoln Highway that went coast to coast. <laughs> um, like, like that's, that's where she started. Ian, you started by asking about regrets, and I think that might be a good book end here. Um, as we know from our previous episode, and as new litheads might not know, Amor Towels, uh, he spent his entire life working in a hedge fund. Like he worked in a boutique hedge fund. Like he worked on Wall Street. Okay. Went to Wall Street, made a bunch of money, eventually started writing books. He tells a story about going to Yale and being an undergraduate at Yale. And he had a professor there, I guess it was a seminar, that was led by a guy named Peter Matheson, who is the co-founder of the Paris Review. He thought Amor was a talented guy. He kind of took him under his wing in a mentor relationship. He worked with him on his writing. And at a certain point, 
Tells broke the news to him that in order to please his father, he was going to go work in finance. And Peter Matheson, this co-founder of the Paris Review, was furious. Like he was absolutely livid. And he said, look, I've seen people from Yale go to finance. Like that's, you're not the first person to think of this. And the people that go to Wall Street don't come back, he told him, right? Like the people that go to Wall Street don't come back. So at this moment, his mentor tells him, you should assume that you've turned your back on writing for the rest of your life. (laughs) And I think that might've been on Immortal's little midnight library bookshelf. Like that obviously had to be something he was kicking around for years and years and years. And then at a certain point, he wrote his rules of civility, kind of nights and weekends sort of thing. Like, like a lot of first time writers, um, it got pretty popular and he was able to leave his his Wall Street job where he was just scraping by <laughs> and write two more really killer novels after that. So suck it, Peter. Yeah, eat that, Matheson. <laughs> Matthiason? Matthiason. Matthiason? M-A-T-T-H-I-E-S-S-E-N. I would say Matheson. Uncle Imor, just do know that if you come on the show, we'll, we will ask you how to pronounce that guy's name. And maybe your name. Maybe your name. Also <laughs> your name. We're so sorry. Well, this is tough. I know what you're thinking. Ian's thinking, oh my God, there's no way I'm going to win. Our friend is listening to the show as we speak. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All this hype. And now you're probably thinking, oh, maybe he's going to flip it. Maybe it's going to be a turns out. Yeah, turns out. No, Ian wins. Mm -hmm. And that maybe I'll flip it again. No, it is Joe. (sighs) This is like that scene in The Princess Bride. And you would be right. (laughs) Ian, you lose. (laughs) Folks, if you would like to support our uh, our podcast, please do head on over to social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can like our posts and stuff over there. You can also suggest a theme or a book at youdon'tknowthatpodcast.com, our website. And most importantly, tell a friend. That's the way we grow. One of the things I didn't get to talk about and is not worth talking about because it's impossible to convey on this show is this book is also very funny at times. And this quote comes from a scene where one of our main characters, uh, Wooly, his name is, he's like the trust fund kid who kept getting kicked out of these private schools. Um, He's telling the story about how he got expelled from one of those private schools. And the way that he did it is he he lit a thesaurus on fire on the football field and the goalpost also caught on fire. And that's the story that he tells here. Wooly despised the thesaurus that his mother had given him. It taunted, teased, and goaded him with the tens of thousands of words that could be substituted for one another. So he carried it down to the football field, doused it with gasoline, and set it on fire. Unfortunately, the flames triggered an explosion that set the entire goalpost on fire. Backing up to the 20-yard line, Wooly had watched at first in shock and then amazement as the fire made its way up the center support and then moved simultaneously along the two shoulders and up the post until the whole thing was in flames. Suddenly, it didn't look like a goalpost at all. It looked like a fiery spirit raising its arm to the sky in a state of exultation, and it was very very beautiful. 
When they called Wooly before the disciplinary committee, it was Wooly's intention to explain that all he'd wanted to do was free himself from the tyranny of the thesaurus so that he could do a better job on his exams. But before he was given a chance to speak, the dean of students who was presiding over the hearing said that Wooly was there to answer for the fire he had set on the football field. A moment later, Mr. Harrington, the faculty representative, referred to it as a blaze, and then Dunky Dunkel, the student council president, who happened to be captain of the football team, referred to it as a conflagration. And Wooly knew right then and there that no matter what he had to say, they were all going to take the side of the thesaurus. Thesaurus.